Away and salam alaikum to episode 2 of 1 million of IGN's watch list. I'm your host Zaid Krill alongside a triumphant trio of nerds starting with the Kervin A himself, Kervin Kluter, the nerd from nowhere Shadley Desai and the absent second Shamalama Ding Dong Shama, Shamas. <laughs> Shamiz. Yo, Shamiz. Two weeks in a row. Shamiz Patel Papathanasio. Yo. My problem is where was a going Shamas? What? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. She is one of my best friends and I'm slaughtering this woman's name every time. Every no, time Zay, I need to record. No. Unacceptable. <laughs> it's twice in a row. We have to see how long we can go with this. Uh, just on, on that note, um, Shami is not, not here to defend herself. Unfortunately, called away dude uh, for a, a minor fam- family emergency. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that and she can explain herself next week because it's either that or... She has more prescient reasons for leaving us uh, alone, but we'll we'll get into that uh, later. How's everybody doing, man? You guys are right. Right. Yeah, we're good. We're good. I can't complain. I'm not even gonna complain. What's the point of complaining? Yeah, what's the I, point? Complaining? I mean, it's not like what's 2020 and 2021 didn't give us reasons to complain. I mean, there's there's ample reasons. Yeah, but there's so many. There's so many reasons to complain. But you see, now, every time you complain, then the years like, okay, okay, years are <laughs> so Don't complain. Be like, okay, nah, nah, nah. Call it. It's yeah. done. Yeah, this 2020 and 2021 is like your wife and you're having an argument and she walks out the room and she comes back with <laughs> seconds And another thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know you're right. You're right, guys. Let's just, we're just here for the IGN watch list where we tell you what we've watched. What we're watching, what we want to watch once a week, every week. We'll maybe also dig into all the news in the world of movies, streaming, uh, and TV, and maybe answer a few nearly questions along the way. This episode was recorded on the 31st of August 2021, and we begin with the homework. Guys, everybody did the homework, no? Yeah, yo. <laughs> it's a non-committal, unenthusiastic answer. Um, look, I, I know we're only two episodes in, but it does kind of feel like I mean, I don't want to say it's a pattern. <laughs> I don't want to say it's a pattern. <laughs> we have to coordinate our choices so that they control us. That's the only way. Yeah, I, I, it's the I, don't, I don't want to say it's a pattern, but I mean, like, two, two instances don't necessarily make a pattern. But Shamiz or Shamaz, if you prefer, selected last week's film, which we all know was the Kissing Booth, the Kissing Booth 3, excuse me. Uh, and then this week, our selection was The Covenant which was, as it happened, the movie that the public voted for. Um, in her defense, and she, <laughs> we communicated via WhatsApp about this, she said, in her defense, she truly, truly, truly didn't know this was a bad movie. It was recommended to her by friends that she has now cut out of her life. Um, they're, just, <laughs> just, they're not allowed in her home. They can't WhatsApp her. She's blocked them on all her, all her social media. She's she's very uh, very very um, <laughs> very 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 apologetic for what has occurred, uh, and also for not being here to defend herself. Be that as it may, the movie of the week was the Covenant, as voted for um, by the IGN public. Thank you, thank you very much. I say it without any sarcasm. Um, yeah, but in any guys, case, <laughs> you guys, we have to watch the Covenant, and I'll I'll be honest. Um, I have better memories of this movie than than what I actually watched because 
as a like I, I, I couldn't remember if I had seen it before or not but I was like semi sure that I did and when the movie started I was like oh oh yes I have seen this movie before and I was like okay it's not going to be so bad I remember watching this and the more this film is going on the more I'm like how like did something happen to me in the interim that my taste just got better or something because I don't remember this movie being this bad um cuz cuz it's bad Kevin, you have something you want to say? It's bad. No, I was going to say, like, I, I honestly, before Shamiz made the recommendation for this movie, I don't know if it was just a blank spot or something, but I had no recollection this movie even existed. Like, I can't remember. I look at the cast and I think, I should have noticed this movie when it came out. But I have no memory of it whatsoever. So I went into this blind, like completely and utterly blind. And bloody hell, man. <laughs> this was This movie was basically... Um, early 2000s the CW the movie that's what this was you know you, you summed it up <laughs> so perfectly it's like it's everything of like those those angsty early noughties films all in one like just rolled into one film it's got it's got the new metal soundtrack it's got like this high fantasy concept meshed into like a contemporary story it's all of that it's essentially the progenitor it's the progenitor to like young adult, like the young adult um, genre yeah. that that has spawned in the in the twenty yeah, tens. I mean, look at least at least some YA properties are actually pretty quality movies. Like, I mean, you can say what you want about no, definitely you say, <laughs> no, you definitely you can say what you want about like the Hunger Games, whatever. It's not a perfect series of movies or whatever, but they competently made. The story, well acted, etc., etc. Yes, et yeah. No, but like, like Kevin, you couldn't like. You know, I have to agree with Shadley. You could not have hit the nail on the head more because that was the first thing I said to him as I'm watching this movie. I was like, I feel like I'm watching a CW pilot for a show that wasn't picked up. It's got like all the, all the whole. Yeah, yes, it's it. exactly the 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 like the 26 year olds playing playing teenagers. Teenagers, <laughs> right? The the. Like, <laughs> How were the, those guys the, in high school? The ill-defined, <laughs> ill-defined powers. Um, you know, it's like you know, I said I watched the trailer with my daughter, <laughs> right? Because she was like, "What? What is it? Like, what is the movie you guys are going to watch?" So, oh, let me let me show you the trailer because it can help remind me. Also, and then the trailer was done, and I looked at it. And I said, "This is one of those movies where the magic is hot, but the girls are hotter." That's like the whole. <laughs> it's like the whole vibe. It's all. <laughs> but seriously. How does the magic work in this movie? Like how? Did you not know? It's like uh, they they have it. It's, it's a thing. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's very ill defined. I mean, aside from the fact that, like the the only things that they're very specific about is that uh, if you manifest your powers at thirteen, you ascend at eighteen, which you get like you get like a thousand percent boost in your powers. However. From that point onwards, every time you use your powers, it, it impacts your life. So, yeah, so the more you use your powers, the more it's going to aid you. And the powers is addictive, so it's actually not a good idea to use. Yeah, it's like a drug. Yeah, there's, like, there's a whole analogy for that there. It's, it's 12. Again, <laughs> 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 um, yeah. I don't want to sound like a stuck record like I, like I did last week, right? But it's like the thing with this film that disappoints me is that there's I can see the grains of a good like the, the basic ingredients for a good film in there somewhere. But it's like, and like I said, I, I'm going to sound like you can 
take what I'm about to say interjected into last week's episode and it won't make a difference. Nobody that was making that film cared about making that film. Nobody. Oh, yeah. 100%. That was like the most campy, wooden acting ever. And say it, ah, 100% agree with you. There's like a really good concept. This is like those, like I said earlier, it's those early 2000s, um, uh, like kind of young adult, high fantasy, contemporary mixes, you know, like Jumper and that way. It's a really cool concept. But the execution is just, it's atrocious. It is. I can tell you this much, eh? I was, the one aspect of this movie that really, really worked on my nerves, like from the word go, and I didn't think it would, is the soundtrack. And I, I, I put it this way, because I, I am a, I mean, that, that era of new metal 2000, that was my thing. That was my thing. But the soundtrack is so overbearing. Like when that movie starts, that music is just so loud and in your face. And I was like, just just show some restraint, Remy Holland, please. Like, come on. And I mean, like Remy Holland has done good things. We've seen him do good things as a director. I mean, like Tire to Cliffhanger. You know, these are things that he had potential. The long kiss goodnight. Probably like one of the most underrated action movies oh, ever. Um, it's no, I, I, honest, honestly, I'm telling you, nobody was... Like, there's a scene... You know when it like dawned on me, right? There's a scene where Taylor Hitch, who... Um, is it Hitch or Kitch? Taylor Kitch, Kitch. sorry. Taylor Kitch, Kitch right? <laughs> so, like, during that period, I think if I'm... Uh, my memory says this movie came out in 2006, no? 2006, 2007. Yeah, that's right. right. So that, that period of time, that was like, he was the, the, the hotness, right? He was coming out of, uh, I think he might have, I, I think he might, might have still been shooting Friday Night Lights. And the anticipation was, was that once that show, once he's released from that show, he's going to be the O. Like, this is the guy, right? Yeah, he's going to be, he's going to be the guy. Right? And I didn't watch, I, I didn't watch Friday Night Lights, uh, Friday Night Lights religiously or anything, but I've caught a couple of episodes and he is a good actor. He, like, he, you know, he has screen presence. He knows how to deliver a line in a, in an interesting way and whatever. There's a scene in there where he is talking on the phone to, um, Steven Strait's character, who's the main character, Caleb. They're talking on the phone, right? So, like, when you film a scene where two characters are in separate locations and they're talking on the phone, I mean, you're not actually talking to anybody. You're just holding a phone up and whatever. And this, but I couldn't care less what he was saying. He was just reciting words on a paper. It's like, how do you know he's the killer? Can you be certain? Did you feel it? It's like, I've seen you, I'm like, I've seen you do other stuff, man. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced, I, I haven't bothered to look into the behind the scenes or whatever, but I'm convinced that they actually wanted him for the lead. Um, just because he was a bigger profile. I think at that point in time, at that point in time, he was, yeah, that was good. And look at the, at the, at the, the, at the time, he was probably the biggest name. Um, of all the, the performers in, in, in that show, in that, that movie, right? So he didn't, didn't like, why does Soprano not have top billing? And like his character gets like knocked out of the story pretty easily by, um, by a then unknown Sebastian Stan who we'll get to in a moment. And like he, he's, he's like, I, I, I think what happened was is that they wanted him. He was like, I don't actually want to, uh, 
I don't, I don't, this is a cuck movie. <laughs> I don't want to be in it. And they're like, no, please. Okay, no, please. No, don't, don't, don't do that. We'll still give you like the liquor money, but then you just be in the movie so your name can be there. And, and then I think he was like, yeah, fine. I'll take the money and then I'll stick it for a couple of days. And then like halfway through the movie, my character will be in a coma and it's cool. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I think happened. Yo, that, that, that sounds like exactly what <laughs> that, that, happened. That's what happened. Like, he was just like, like, like he, it, it sounds like one of those films, you know, where your agent gets you like, like we got you this film and everything deal is done and everything. And you get the script and you're like, yeah, I don't want to be in this anymore. Like I, I don't want to be here anymore. And he was just like, nah, I'm tapping out. Like we got to, we got to rewrite this. I want less screen time. I don't want to be here. It just, it, it got that feeling. Yeah, everybody in that movie, I mean, these are people who eventually, most of them go on to have pretty successful career careers. And like Steven Strait and so on, like, I mean, he goes on, he's starting, most probably know, well-known for The Expanse now, but I mean, just after this, he did that, how was that, 10,000 BC? The Rolling Emmerich one? Yeah, he, it was terrible as well, but I mean, he got over that and he went on and he, you know, he, he did this and stuff. But this movie is really not a showcase of anybody's talents in this film. Plus, I don't know if you guys picked up on this. <laughs> this is an odd thing to say, but anybody notice how a 2006 clean-shaven uh, uh, Stephen Strait looks very much like Taylor Lautner from the I, was, I thought it was him yeah. for, for like of the first part. So, I was like, wait, <laughs> I need to Google I, this. Like, I, I have to mention this. I once uh, reviewed a, a movie of Taylor Lautner. Um, I can't remember what the name of the movie was. The parkour one, whatever the hell it was called. Um, the, abduction. The, no, not abduction. The one where he does parkour and then that chicky from from, from the, um, what's it, the 100? She's in there. I can't remember what the movie's called. It's a bad movie. But I described the movie. I started the movie off by describing Taylor Lautner as, if you could crossbreed, and I'll pack her with a plank of wood. You'll end up with Taylor Lautner. So, <laughs> and I got I got serious hate mail from the Taylor Lautner fan club. Oh. Like they were on my case on social media and everything. So when I started watching this movie, I was like, Oh my God, it's Taylor Lautner. I'm going to massacre him again, and they're gonna come after me once more. And I was like, Oh no, it's actually Stephen Strait. I was like, So relieved. <laughs> Genuinely convinced this was a a situation where nobody really wa- like. Look, it happens sometimes, right? From what I understand, sometimes you get attached to a property. Uh, for contractual reasons or whatever and you just can't get out of it and another reason that makes me think this happens also is that the movie is uh, I think one hour and 50 minutes something like that in that area right and not a lot happens right there's there's like tracking shot like the movie feels deliberately padded like there's a lot of like uh, okay, they wouldn't have had drones back then, but like aerial shots just to show something, and then that's like that's like thirty seconds longer than it needed to be, and then the, then like a car is pulling up to a house, then suddenly like the cameras is in the trees, and then a dolly's over to stop the like there's a a lot of like a lot of nothing happening, and I'm convinced that I'm convinced that this movie has and it had um, an incredibly short shoot time, uh, and everybody did their stuff. And then went off to go do something else. I, like if you told me that this entire movie was shot in six weeks or less, I would believe you. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Yeah, I can't believe I, that. I wouldn't like question it. Yeah, like I, nobody was interested in making this film. It it really comes across like that. It really does. Can we like talk about? I know. I, I, we, 
I try to always avoid spoilers no matter how much I talk about a movie, but can we talk about the last, say, 20 minutes of this movie? Because I have to point out how utterly, atrociously bad it is, even compared to the first, you know, hour and 10 minutes of this movie. Because it makes no sense. I have to mention plot details here to get into this, but there are things that happen in this movie that even on the, you know, the, the, the bare minimum level makes no sense. Like the, the whole thing at the end where, you know, he's got to take the girl to the dance and then he tells her to go to the dance on her own for no reason whatsoever. So he can just join later and then she can be kidnapped and, other guys, apparently, he's ascended already, so he's got a thousand times the power, except all it means he hits slightly harder, and he tells his buddies to all not join him when they can easily just take this guy out, and it's just like, just one stupid writing decision after another, piled on top of each other, all for the sake of convenience, to have this, essentially, this, this, this Dragon Ball Z via Twilight fight scene at the end. It's 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 just bad. It's oh. can can I just say like in our WhatsApp group, Zed, you brought it up that the the final like thirty five minutes just moves at the glacial pace, and Shamiz also said the same thing. Like she was struggling. I'm convinced. I think I was I was doing like a bit of work in the background and like watching and i was like every time i looked i'm like what is going on why are, we, why are we still here like what's going on it is this is like the worst pacing ever and i think it's because of how shallow like the script is so like nothing is happening at like a snail's pace essentially you know and like Kervin, you said it's an excuse for like this this airbending cgi terrible 2000s cgi like i was oh my god i couldn't get over that because i was like wait you guys are supposed to be like witches descendants from witches and all you do doing is like shooting a bitchy air at each other is is that it is that the extent <laughs> of your powers <laughs> like what is happening here looking at the um like uh whenever they do their like they, they generate a, um, a energy ball or whatever. Remember I just said earlier, like I, whatever it is, like maybe it is airbender. But you know, I said, how I said earlier, um, I feel like this movie was shot in a very short time and whatever. When you like do special effects like that, if you're going to shoot energy balls and bolts and stuff at each other, right? Especially if you are shooting like in the dark, then you need to like prepare external light sources. You can't add that in post. Like they, they like add a light source and they'll add the things like but whatever that bolt of energy is reflecting off of, you need lights for that. And I'm convinced they shot that stuff and they were like, shit, we can't do lightning because uh, there's no ambient light in the scene. So that's why we have to use these transparent palaches. We have to. <laughs> that's <laughs> the only thing that will make sense within the context of what we have shot. Yeah. Because we can't just add a light. It actually, because like, I'm convinced that's what happened. Um, no, that sounds that makes sense. That actually makes hundred percent sense to me. Because like, but I mean, but I mean, you look, you look like early in the movies, and they doing stuff where people are turning into mist, and they causing spiders to climb out of people's faces, and then when it actually comes time to throw down with the magic, and you know, it's like you know. 
basically glorified <laughs> water pistols. That, that's but, essentially what's going on. I will say at least, at least in terms <laughs> of the like, airbending, it did look better than the airbending that was in the last airbender. But that that's a story for another time. You know, <laughs> that, that movie doesn't exist. <laughs> something something else that bothered me, and I don't know if it's because um, like just I've, I'm older now and I'm more. Um, no, no, not jaded. I was just more socially aware, right? And so on. But there was a few things that was happening in there that just irritates me generally. So did I just say generally? I did not. <laughs> just generally. generally. That, that's how bad it is. It's about 17 <laughs> hours. Something about that 17 generally hours bothers me about films that have teenage protagonists or whatever. It annoys the spit out of me, right? That the lead character, Caleb, is about to turn 18, right? He's the oldest of the group. He's going to ascend first. So by implication, if he's the oldest, then everybody else is younger than him, right? That's Captain Obvious. So he's going to turn 18. So he's 17. And his buddies are all 17. But they all hang out at this bar. And the only means, the only means <laughs> in I this bar, that. like, so you say, okay, maybe they got fake IDs. <laughs> it's like maybe they got fake IDs or whatever, right? And that's how they get into the bar. But but it's not, right? Because everybody in that bar is lighties from the school. And I'm like, how? Yes. How does like to It's the magic, <laughs> like, bruh. It's the magic system. Like, how does this you see the <laughs> magic? Work, right? And this is a But but they thought of this, they thought of this aid. They thought of that because didn't you hear when that guy went to the bar he ordered a burger? And a coke, not a beer. <laughs> no, a I'm coke. sorry, man. I, just, I, I, I can't buy it, right? Everybody, everybody in that bar is from the high school. Like the cops, what? <laughs> right. So that's number one, right? Then number two, which is actually a bit more serious, right? And like I said, maybe it's just because I'm a bit more socially aware and so on. Like the sexualization of the female characters in this movie was like just like a little bit over the top, especially if you're like taking it from the point of view that these are supposed to be 17-year-old girls, right? There's a scene very early in the movie. So like all the, the characters, um, like a lot of the characters attend this uh, Spencer Academy, which is a boarding school. So the main characters aren't at the boarding school because they live in the town, but a lot of the people do and whatever. So the, the, the female lead and her best friend are roommates. They board together, Right. They're supposed to be 16, 17-year-old girls. The first time they show these girls in their, in their um, uh, what do you call it, their, their, their room, right? They're wearing these most super sexy 90s and whatever. I asked my wife, I was like, when you were 17, is this what you were wearing to go to bed or whatever? She's like, no, I, like, no, who has money for that? They're wearing like this expensive lingerie and stuff. Then there's this extended sequence where this, um, where the lead, the female lead, I cannot remember this, this, the, the character nor the actress's name. That's how little they gave this, this woman to do. I mean, I don't know. It could be generic, generic white woman name. Probably, but probably not Karen. There's this extended sequence of her, like in the shower, um, obviously she's clearly naked because she's in a shower and I'm like this mate like, I'm so uncomfortable like I know that because I looked it up I know the actress is actually was 24 I think at the time right but the character is not 24 right that that's for the purposes of the film we as the audience are spying on a 17 year old girl in the shower and whatever and I was like 
this is like this is cringe and then worse than that is the sequence in in the bar where the guys are betting on whether or not this other girl is wearing under what color her underwear oh, yes. is not Oh and yes. I, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm oh gonna, my I'm Lord. gonna, I will concede. Probably in 2006, I thought this was hilarious. And then obviously they like make a bet what color underwear she's wearing, <laughs> and Taylor Kitsch is like, ah, guys, I'm telling you, this girl hasn't worn underwear since she's 12. I'm like, bro, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and then they use the magic to blow up a skirt, and then he wins because she wasn't wearing underwear. And I was like, yo, this is like you could not make this movie. In 2021. Uh, no, there is no way. And, and I'm not even talking about the bad aspects of the script and the whatever and all of the other, other stuff. Nah, this, this would not get past. However, it, it would be a totally different movie. Uh, however, I want to add like a caveat, right? Uh, again, even though it was like, you can't do this because it's like these are technically the characters are underage, although the actors are all in their 20. It was interesting to see that the male characters were also heavily sexualized. Because there's also a bit of an extended sequence in the men's locker room where we know so on balance, I suppose. But I mean, still, man, characters are supposed to be like high schoolers. Maybe in metric. Maybe. I don't know. Yes, but those, check it, but those 17 year olds are the bow. Holy crap, they are For 17 year olds. Imagine what they're going to do. They're all, they're all the rock. When? Like when you are 17. Imagine what they look like now, bro. Yo. Both like tracks, <laughs> um, but I, that that makes oh, me no, that no, makes no, me no. want to segue into the phenomenal Oscar-worthy performance by one Sebastian Stan. Oh my God! <laughs> Listen, can we just say uh, that this this was the role that spiraled him to become <laughs> the Winter Soldier? So this was yeah, you know it, Kevin Feige sat there and point. watched this and he was like that. That is the Winter Soldier right there. <laughs> look, look, we all have to crawl before we can walk, okay? And he was, okay, he wasn't even crawling. He was like dragging himself on his belly on this one. <laughs> this was he was... Oh, look, I don't... This was terrible, I'll, guys. I'll, I'll be honest. There was very little in the script for, like, for anybody to work with because there was nothing in it. I mean, everything just gets explained via everybody else you know his whole character arc is explained um through that whole that whole in that whole weird when they when they look at the book of damnation and all of that and they're like oh my god he's the fifth from the fifth family and da, 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 and and it's like uh, and even the provost explains his family backstory yeah, he has nothing he, he, he nothing. himself <laughs> has nothing to dig into they're just like yeah go do your thing yeah, it's funny, you know, you mentioned that about, uh, like, when he's, uh, when it's not revealed that Sebastian Stan is, is the villain. Because it's, you know, obviously there's a bit of ambiguity about that uh, in the beginning of the of the film and so on. Is it really? Well, I mean, there's, really? the pretense of, <laughs> there's the pretense of ambiguity. <laughs> but it's like, like, you know, we, we obviously we're beyond spoilers here, right? So when the movie begins, there's a... A, uh, like a party that the kids are having. Somebody dies at this party because he's killed by, via magic, which is the magic that Sebastian Stan is using. But we as the audience don't know this at the time, right? We're like, shock right? horror. Lead character Stephen Strait, Caleb, feels like, oh, this magic has happened because you know, he's like sensitive to it. And then he like says to his brat Taylor, away, <laughs> someone, some, Did you feel someone is jigging with magic here. 
I'm going to find out who it is. <laughs> and the bra doesn't look into it. Philip, it is here. Oh, investigate nothing. Until, the, until like 45 <laughs> minutes into the movie, then he's like, okay, you know what? Another person has died or whatever. Maybe I should start, like, maybe I should start looking into what's going on. Wait, this actually brings up like one of my gripes that I was, like I was watching this there and I was thinking, this is like such a gripe to me because it's like, why are you doing this? It's like whenever there is like this obscure danger, they're like, I'll call my 17-year-old friend. Like, they'll know what to do. Like, of course, they'll know. To- I'll be like, hell no, I'm going to an adult. That's their problem now. But, but the adults are as useless. So this guy dies. This, this boy at a school dies. They find him inside a locked car. No one else is around. What do they find on the back seat? They find Sebastian Stan's ID on the back seat. He's the only suspect <laughs> in this murder. And they were just like, oh, you dropped this? Yeah, take it back. <laughs> it's like, so that even the like adults are like useless. Yeah, yeah, they they lost your ID. Like, oh, thanks. Shukran. <laughs> yeah, he was like, we found this inside the locked car where the person was murdered. And there was no other evidence. But it's cool. Take it back, dude. <laughs> it's, it's like, like you, could, yeah, you, you couldn't have done anything. But uh, Be on your way, son. But like, I will say the... the, the um, this is what I was saying earlier about this, like the this, like the seeds for a a, a compelling story in there. The, these these if they are these definitely like the seeds for for an interesting story in there. We've we've seen this TV series done better. Mm-hmm. Let's just put that we've seen this this movie as a TV series done better and even, multiple times. And I'll even say right in the end, like in the in the climactic clash or whatever, they were kind of clever in how they. Probably the only bit, I mean, it's not the cleverest script ever, but it's still kind of clever how they actually um, create a path for victory for him, right? In that, like, the ultimate plot of Sebastian Stan is, is like, look, I've, like, ascended already, I've got all my power, and my father bequeathed his power to me, so, bra, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm Goku Super Saiyan level 2 here. You, you can't take me, right? And that's very clear in the end because he's, Sebastian Stan is kicking the shit out of the guy. So it is kind of clever then that given that the lead character, Caleb, his father is still alive, but he's so um, old because of, he, he was addicted to his power and his mother convinces the father like, look, your son is going to die or whatever. Yeah, he's, he's not going to make it. You need to do something unselfish for once in your life. And then the father bequeaths his power to Caleb just in time and he defeats the guy and whatever. Right? So that was kind of clever. With bad CGI. <laughs> bad CGI. <laughs> but that was kind of kind of clever. Um, and I feel almost like the guy who wrote the script was like, oh, that's an interesting scenario. Come I write a movie <laughs> about that. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of, like, cool little scenarios. Like, even the ending, you know, like, he's, he's kind of plays it cool and that. But it's like, this bra has been using so much magic since he ascended. Like, it shouldn't that they've taken, like, some kind of toll on him. I mean, look, we said from the beginning it's very vague. So, who really knows? It is, and, look, it, it's, it's very vague. And then, look, right at the end, like, after he, like, defeats the guy and whatever, and the, the police show up and whatever, then he gets in the car with his girlfriend and they drive away and the movie's over. Yeah, that ending, it's so abrupt. My, so my so my wife my wife nodded off during the final battle. Like, really, she fell asleep during that final battle, right? And then she fell asleep and then she woke up as they were driving off and she was like, oh, she missed her whole last bit. Like, what happened? And I was like, 
He beat him and then he got in the car and drove off. That's, that's literally that's, that's what happened. That's the treat. There's, not, there's nothing sure. else to tell you. Like okay. Look, I think I, I just want to actually just quickly, just quickly, before we conclude and, and give our new nominations, I went to look up the review that IGN did for this movie when it came out. And I had to actually go and like really dig around for this because the, of the review isn't actually publicly available anymore. Um, but I was able to find it in the back, <laughs> in the back of our, uh, the CMS, in the vault of the whatever. So we gave the movie a four out of 10. Scott, Scott, uh, I believe it was Scott Kaluda who did the, the review. He gave it a four out of 10. Um, and I read the review and yeah, I mean, he's in total agreement. Right with us. I think he concluded his review by saying the Covenant had the makings of being an interesting movie, but Harlan and company can't cast a strong enough spell to make it more enchanting. He was being generous with that conclusion. Yeah, but that's, it's like that's, that's, that's bang too on. nice. That's too nice. So yeah, like so I think that's that's <laughs> all we have to say about that. So like next week, right? Next week, let's 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 Please, people. let's select some, something something better. So I am putting on the table Rebecca. Uh, which is uh, Army Hammer and Lily James. Um, I remember, I can't remember why I wanted to see this movie. I think I saw a trailer and I put it on my um, on my list and I just forgot about it for some reason. Um, I know I can remember there was a lot of discourse around it when the movie actually came on, on Twitter and so on, but honestly, I can't even remember what the plot is or what it's about or anything. But I like Army Hammer despite his current issues uh, which we, which we can delve into <laughs> yeah which we can delve into issues. if the movie gets selected and i i'm a i'm a big fan of lady james i think i think big things are going to happen for going forward so that's my selection rebecca uh shamiz has <laughs> selected i can see the anticipation on your come cat faces come she on has selected birds of prey uh, and the emancipation of one oh, okay. uh, Hollywood, ah, okay. which she has never seen. So that's that's okay, that's streaming on Showmax. So if if her sizable Twitter following supporter once again, <laughs> we can get nah, I'm okay with that. Watch. I'm actually okay with that. I'm okay with that. I'm good with that. Uh, so yeah. why did you guys select? Irvin, you want to go first? Shall we go for it? Oh, okay. But <laughs> you want me to go first? Okay. So Zayden, I was I, I was thinking in a. Of like punishing you and choosing Monster Hunter. I said, I'll, I'll be honest, I was going to do that, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pick something that I actually held back on watching in the hope that I get it this week. And that is The Witcher Nightmare of the Wolf. So it's an it's a animated take on the Witcher series. It's a bit of a spin-off. It looks very, cool, yeah, it's, it looks very interesting. I'm very excited to, to have a look at it. I'm... It's gotten very I've good reviews. I watched it just a few days ago. It's three, four, five thumbs up. It's very so good. So I'm, I'm... Okay. Okay, for my pick, I'm going with Run, which is currently on Showmax 2020 film. Um, the less you know about the plot, the better. I'll just give you a tagline. It's basically this disabled girl who's a homeschooled girl. She's living with a... Just she and her mother living alone. Mother takes care of her, does everything for her. But then she starts picking up that something is not right with her mother. There's some dark secret. So the, the, the director of this movie, Anish Chaganti, he did a movie in 2018 called Searching, 
which is phenomenal. It's, in my opinion, the best performance John Cho has ever done on screen. And it's directed entirely from within John Cho's laptop. It's like you see his desktop, you're chatting to people. It's phenomenal. So this movie is more traditional thing, but it got a fantastic review. It, when it launched on Hulu, it became the num- it's become the number one watched film on Hulu of all time when it came out. So now it's... At the, it's, it, it looks phenomenal. So I've been wanting to watch this forever. It's now on Showmax because it's got a very, very limited theatrical run at the end of last year during the pandemic. So obviously, couldn't really go watch it. It's on Showmax as of a few, like last week. So I am stoked that it's a run. I actually have that's that my on my, my list as well. So I'm actually kind of hoping people select that one. So like, so that's Rebecca, which is uh, streaming on Netflix. Uh, Birds of Prey, which is on Showmax. Run, which is also on Showmax. And The Witcher, uh, Nightmare of the Wolf, which is on Netflix as well. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss a bit of the news, talk a bit about what else we're watching. Um, and I don't know, maybe if we find time, we'll just throw more shade from his way. I don't know. We'll- we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Okay, so that was uh, our discussion on uh, the covenant, um, the covenant. <laughs> My brain was correcting me there. <laughs> no, no, I, I shall not be associated the, the with that. The covenant, but we, we're going to move on to nicer things. And I think this was a piece of news that Kevin actually alerted me to. Uh, and I have to admit, I was very pleased. The Rocketeer is returning thanks to Disney+. Plus. The Rocketeer will blast onto Disney+, Plus in a new exclusive film title, appropriately, the return of the Rocketeer. Deadline reports that Disney will revive the 1991 classic film with the help of producers Jessica and David Oyelowo, the latter of whom may also potentially star in the project as well. Oyelowo is best known for playing Martin Luther King Jr. in 2014's Selma. Um, yeah, man. I, you need to stop massacring his name. Brad Pitt oh? is not going to be happy with you. Brad Pitt did a whole thing at the Oscars where he told people how to pronounce his name. It's just... Oh, yellow woe. Okay, Just, Oh, yellow woe. Maf, That's what, <laughs> I'm very sorry. I'm, I'm very sorry. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, Brad, but, so, sorry, not sorry, Brad, Brad but sorry to David. Oh, yellow woe. <laughs> I'm, I'm yellow so sorry. Um, a very fine actor. I will happily watch him. I have he yet is, to see is. something with him in that's completely awful. Um, he has been in one thing that was quite bad, though. So... Um, you, you're yes, talking about right. chaos walking but 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 even that was like <laughs> that was better than the covenant at least like like it's clear like the problems yes. with that movie had little to do with the, the the actors there was other stuff going on there but maybe we can watch that at, at, at one stage as well um but yeah look the, the rocketeer is actually one of my um fave movies and i get the sense that you feel the same way Kev, since you were the one that like we need to talk about this yes i when there was a thing on Twitter a few weeks back, people posted their favorite superhero movies of all time, and everyone, comic book movies of all time, and everyone was like, you know, the traditional, the Dark Knight and Superman. I put the Rocketeer up on there because that movie is just peak, you know, 50s pulp comic book adventure, serial matinee stuff. That's what that movie is. I love it. I love it to bits. I mean, got Timothy Dalton, you know, hamming it up there as this awesome villain. You got, it's just a fantastic movie. Bill Campbell as a Cliff Secord. And I've been a fan for ages. Uh, I know Disney, they did the Disney Junior animated show where it's basically animated little thing of a young girls, the Rocketeer. When I heard originally they're bringing back the Rocketeer, I was stoked. And then it was this 
show for preteens essentially or young kids so i wasn't really chuffed about that until i saw this news and i'm i'm off it i like the spin they're taking because um, they said david yellow he, he's not confirmed to be starting um but he's he's pretty much circling the role it's looking like it's going to be likely and if he does take the role He's gonna take the. His character is gonna play is a, a Tuskegee Airman who finds the rocket pack and then picks and becomes the next rocketeer. That's that's a that's a good angle to take right there. I mean, if you know the Tuskegee Airman and the stuff that they went through, that's a awesome loaded like you know historical I aspect wish right you there. Hadn't told me that because I think because I think <laughs> I would have enjoyed it. Like going in blind would have probably. But I mean, look. But you know, like, oh, look, one of the hazards of, of like the work that, that I do is that I kind of always know what's happening. I very rarely get to watch a film and not know anything that's going on. It's kind of one of the reasons why I actually selected Rebecca for my choice because it has something that I somehow missed it. So it will be, fu- yeah, the, so I, I won't know what's going on. But anyway, be that as it may, um, The Rocketeer, uh, directed by Joe Johnson. Captain America First Avenger, directed by Joe Johnson, and there's The guy who the guy who created Boba Fett. Oh about that. He designed Boba Fett. He was working for ILM. He was working for ILM at the time, and he is the designer of Boba Fett. Okay. I don't know if that's necessarily a good or a bad thing. I'm not yeah. <laughs> particularly a fan of Boba Fett. I'm talking <laughs> No, but Boba Fett, the actual character the, the character design of Boba yeah, Fett okay. is, is iconic. Like, everyone loves the design of Boba Fett. And, and he, he came up with it. He was the guy that did it. Uh, he was working for ILM at the time, back in the day. Yeah. And, yeah, that's how, that's think, how he got know, his like big break. He's, uh, he's actually uh, what they call, what they like to call um, a journeyman director. A journeyman yeah, I couldn't, director. I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't come up with it, whatever. He's like the guy that you get. like you've got, you've got a movie. You need somebody to, to direct it who knows what they're doing. You're not looking necessarily for a particular um, a, a signature style or something like when you like you know certain directors have a you know that if you get that director you're gonna get a particular vibe so like a Tim Burton movie you immediately know it's almost like a genre on its own a Zack Snyder movie there's a there's a kind of language there Joe Johnson is like a story needs to be told um, it's gonna be pretty straightforward how you get this information I'm gonna ma- I'm gonna blow your socks off with some great sequences and stuff. But I'm not gonna. There's there's not gonna be Dutch angles. But <laughs> yeah. he's he, but he's not thing. gonna he he's does. not gonna put like this imprint that you're gonna be like, whoa, that's a Joe Johnson film. But what he does, he does the fundamentals mm. great. I mean, that's why he's got. He's the guy who directed Chumanji. Uh, I shrunk the kids. You know, yeah. Jurassic Park three. He did those stuff. Hidalgo, which I actually loved, and and that I think is a very underrated movie. Yes, um, he's, so yeah, he, he, he's it's it's like you say he's, he's a good journeyman director. I think. I think considering the project, we don't know if he's involved. I, like, if he is involved, I think it's not like a, a terrible choice. No, it wouldn't be if you could bring mm. him back. Holy crap, I would be so. That's unbored. actually what I was gonna. So. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. Yeah, I would <laughs> I really be on board. I <laughs> myself there. <laughs> no, I was gonna say I'm actually kind of hoping he's involved in this project because uh, that story actually kind of re- required that kind of director. Do you, do you know what I mean? Because of the, the nature of the story, that was actually the kind of direction that you need. Very straightforward. There's not, um, it's not a subtle movie. I mean, it's, which isn't to say that the movie's shallow and the plot is whatever, but there's nothing like, there's no, um, uh, there's not a lot of subtext in what people are saying. Like the bad guys are clearly bad. 
They're not two-dimensional, but but the bad guys are the bad guys. The good guys are the good guys. You you know who everybody is, and, and Joe Johnson is very good at that. And that's one of the things I really enjoyed about that film. It's like Kevin was saying earlier, there's this very 1950s... Um, Aesthetic. Yeah. It's a pop, it's, it's a, it's a yeah. pop fiction Saturday exactly. kind and, of and vibe. I want That's exactly that, what it is. Again, I'm going to be very disappointed like if they hire... Uh, I don't know, those two guys that directed Bad Boys for Life. <laughs> so it's like, like they, they are great. I can't remember their names. They, they are great directors, right? Adil and Fadi. Uh, Adil and uh, Fadi. Something Ali, like Ali that. Ali, it's like they're like very good whatever. directors. They have a very good eye. And But like that's not the Rocketeer. You know what that, that doesn't fit. That, that, that no. doesn't fit. No. Look, I, I have fond memories of the Rocketeer as like, as a wee lad in the early 90s, I remember watching it and like, I remember just being a very, very distinct film because of like the aesthetic, the film, like it had that superhero tone before superheroes were like a big thing on screen. So it was like a very exciting, it's, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like the, the Brendan Fraser mummy films it's that swashbuckling adventure and and like that's kind of what i want to come out of this so so i don't know like the, the rocketeer is a fantastic film but for me i always associate two other movies with them and i understand that people don't think this these other two movies are in the same quality level but for me they, they i always associate them together because they came out at a time where all of a sudden hollywood was trying to revive this pulp feel so you had the rocketeer you had the shadow with 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 Alec Baldwin, oh and you had the, the Phantom with, with Billy Zane. Zane. <laughs> yes, and and they all they all were were movies based on old school nineteen fifties serials or nineteen fifties like comic strips, and they were all going for this pulp feel back then. And I'm a I'm a sucker for pulp storytelling. I really love it. I love that feel. Of it. So I know the shadow. A lot of people don't like the shadow, and 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 the Phantom as much. I think is corny and cheesy. Oh, I love the Phantom um, so and, much. That's actually funny. Those those are like um, unofficial trilogy, actually, in a in a way, right? Like so, Phantom and the Shadow established properties. Uh, the Rocketeer was created for that uh, for that. No, Rocketeer is based on a comic book. I believe it's, it's the, the other way around. Book. I believe the comic book is based on the movie. No, I'm. I'm pretty sure it was based on a comic book. Um, uh, some, not, I wasn't going to say Dan Stevens. Um, someone Google Stevens help. is a character. Okay, okay, Google I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking. Right looking. Wait, hang on, hang uh, on. But be that as it may, it's, like, it's actually very interesting that you pay those movies together. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's comic, a comic book, book, yes. Character first, first appeared in 1982. Writer, artist, okay, Dan Stevens. Uh, originally published okay, by Pacific Comics. My point is, is that it's, it's not, it's not a, a legacy hero. Uh, in the in the sense that in the no, sense no, that the shadow not, or, the, or the phantom um, would be. Listen, talking about the phantom, right? Do you guys remember uh, Phantom 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, I'm a, I'm a lot about aesthetics, right? Especially with animation. If the look doesn't work for me, I can't, I can't engage, right? So everybody keeps telling me to watch Steven Universe because it's so great, but I'm like, but they look like ugly. I, I just, I can't, right? But the Phantom <laughs> is a disgustingly awful looking animation. It's one of the worst 
aesthetics. It's really no, it's bad. It's, it was, it's bad. It's it's not aesthetic. It's just they they chose they chose this very odd art style where everybody looks yes. ugly. <laughs> no one looks really good in <laughs> no, that show. Nobody. That, that just <laughs> tells you how quality that storyline was because I resisted watching it. It was fantastic. But it kept coming, you know, like, it would just be on when I was at home. And so it was on always in the background. And after a while, I started finding myself, okay, Phantom Time. I need to, I need to watch this. And I would actually, Phantom twenty four. I would be so excited if they revived the Phantom. I know there was like a live action TV series. I think around about the same time, like early, ten, early 2010s, maybe 2009, 11, whatever. It was not very good. Um, I can see the actor who portrayed the Phantom in that scene. I'm trying to remember this It's, it's not good. It's, it, it's just, it's not good. It was one of those shows where, look, a show like that kind of has a specially fixed commitment that you kind of need, right? But the Phantom as a character, not particularly pop- popular, um, you're not going to get, you, the idea is too ambitious for television. I'll, I'll put it that way. In, in much the same way that DC's uh, Legends of Tomorrow is also a show that, that can't actually back up what it's about. So it kind of, you know, falls flat or whatever. But that Phantom 2040 was fantastic. And of course, before that, I'm old enough to remember, do you guys remember Defenders of the Earth? Yes, uh, I like do. That, show was, that was the show that introduced me to the Phantom, right? But no, no, no. That show didn't introduce me to the Phantom, well, at least not to me. The Phantom was introduced to me in the comics that have been in scum. Yes. No, I actually only find him afterwards as as Discum, but like the Phantom, that's where I became familiar with the character. That was your first introduction. Yeah. And what an introduction. I remember I remember reading the Discum and Modesty Blaze. I was like, because everything, everything else in the in the in the newspapers at the time, the comic strips was like, you know. Garfield and Andy Cap and like really cartoony stuff, and then out of this would stand the, like the Phantom, Modesty Blaze, and there was a King, King uh, Prince Valiant as well. I recall correctly. Prince Valiant. Those three, those three had like this fan- Prince Valiant. That's the one. Those three had this fantastic artwork and everything. They stood out to me. That's like so. Like, uh, I remember those. The the reason why I kind of bring like you like reminded me of that and whatever, and we were talking so about how this Rocketeer revival kind of we like hoping that it maintains this very clear-cut good guys, bad guys kind of vibe, right? But I am wondering if there is actually a space for a film like that. So in one respect, I'm kind of glad it's coming to Disney Plus because I think I think it will probably find uh, it will probably find an audience in that format because I kind of get like the sense that this is not the kind of movie that people will pay a hundred bucks to go and watch in the cinema. We just, for whatever reason... It's a, yeah, it's a not even audience. also that. Man, there's almost like we've gotten to this place in cinema where only people only go to the cinema to watch two kinds of movies, right? It's big spectacle laden, uh, MCU level type, not that kind of movies. Movies like Dune are going to probably do great, and The Matrix Four when it comes out. Sorry, Matrix Resurrections is the movie's been recently titled. Big films like that, uh, the new Batman that's going to come out, right? Those are like event films. And then um, Oscar contenders. So movies with amazing, uh, engrossing performances. These like, what I like to call them double A films. You don't, people aren't going to the cinema for that anymore. You know, so you don't see rom-coms really in cinemas. It's not a, not a thing that people are doing. 
these uh, middle-of-the-road action films where it's just a one-and-done kind of thing. And then movies like what The Rocketeer was. Like, the Rocketeer didn't do that great when it <laughs> when it initially came out in... Uh, no, it didn't. was it, 1991, I said it. Eh? Didn't, didn't do that great then. And to be honest, I didn't watch it in the cinema either. I discovered it on VHS, like, like I think most people did. Um, so, like, having said that, right, is, is it, like, like, as excited as we are for this film, do you think it's going to find its audience again um, on streaming? The fact that the Mighty Ducks sequel has found an audience on Disney Plus streaming tells me that there's, there's an audience. I mean, Disney, Disney is essentially dusting off all these old properties for specifically for audiences like us. That's why you have a new Turner and Hooch. That's why you have a Mighty Ducks sequel. Because they, they know they've got these properties in their bag that has got this nostalgia attached to it. But putting it on Disney Plus means that people who have Disney Plus, and by that I mean families, will be all exposed to this. So they, there's a there's a there's going to be a natural transition transition of you know people like you and us telling our family, taking your telling your kids, oh this movie's on Disney Plus, let's all watch it together kind of vibe. I think that's what they're aiming for because they know put this movie in the in the cinema. You're probably never gonna make your money back. It's 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 got a niche audience. It doesn't, like you mentioned, it doesn't have that big tentpole blockbuster appeal. It really doesn't. Um, the story itself doesn't support that scale of movie. Once you once you make that movie to that scale, it's no longer the Rocketeer. It's mm, no longer mm. that movie anymore. So it's perfect for Disney Plus. Indeed. Um, okay, so I'm very excited. I'm very excited for the Rocket, the Return of the Rocketeer. Not gonna lie. I like the angle that you mentioned earlier. Um, about a new rocketeer stepping into uh, strapping on the the backpack. What did like was it just was it called the rocket pack? I can't remember. It's like uh, you know, it's like, it's it it's pack, it's yeah. like it actually kind of reminds me like the thing like with the film like this. Like I know I loved this movie, but I couldn't tell you anything that happens in the movie either. <laughs> I actually re I rewatched it about five six years ago. Um, I, 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 I still loved it. Uh, I still loved it. Uh, it's, it's really out up okay, well for me. Okay, cool, man. Listen, so there's some other um, some other interesting news that uh, also passed on to by our intrepid Curvinator, reporter extraordinaire. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the Expendables, <laughs> the Expendables are coming back. Expendables four and Megan Fox has joined the joined the crew as a new movie has been confirmed. And Fable. With Fiddy. So Megan, <laughs> so Megan Fox will be the newest member of Sylvester Stallone's crew in The Expendables 4, uh, which was confirmed today by Lionsgate. That is yesterday, actually. Uh, Fox, who found fame in the Transformers and various other Michael Bale films, has lately been having a bit of a moment. Uh, best known for breakout success from Transformers, uh, she was recently kept busy with roles in movies Till Death and Night Teeth, neither of which is movies that I've seen. Unless, of course, Night Teeth Unless, of course, Night Teeth is an alternate title for Rogue, uh, which is a movie that is on Showmax now, which was shot in South Africa and was... And uh, I'll, just add, uh, I'll just say it's also a... Pop no, cup. it actually wasn't that bad. It's, it's, look, <laughs> look, 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 look. Uh, that, movie, that movie is clearly a very cheap movie. No, one, no one's going to... Like, they probably had 50 cents... To make that movie, but I, for 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 what the budget was and what they managed to pull off, 
it actually wasn't terrible. I, I can I can I can guarantee you now, just like as a throwback to what we were talking about at the top, <laughs> right? I'm telling you that movie probably had less than a quarter of the budget of Covenant. And I think they made a way better movie. <laughs> right? This is, this is gonna be your baseline from now. Like, you watch a movie, you're like, is it worse than Covenant and the Kissing? I'm, I'm happy okay, with it. Geez, I actually, I'm not gonna lie. It was um, I watched that um, on a Sunday, random Sunday afternoon. I cannot tell you what compelled me to watch it um, because, like, nothing about its poster or things, whatever, was intriguing. I was like, ah, I just put it on, and I had. I had a, an okay time. I had a good time. Um, I I think I also just generally like the idea of films that take place in a single location. Um, so like in that movie, they start from one place, but once they get to the the farm with the oh, just for those that don't know, it's about lions that go bosbefuck and start eating humans, and then Megan Fox and her team are being pursued by uh, a Boko Haram type organization are kidnapping girls, and the two forces end up on this farm where these lions are also just eating people and that's what happens, right? It, it, was, it was a pretty good movie. I, 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 I just felt like it was just two movies mashed into one. That's, that, that's my biggest complaint about it. It's like it's, they've got the whole, you know, fighting insurgents thing and then they also have fighting lions thing happening. It felt like it's two movies mashed into one. The, the, this is the basis for all like those 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 weird asylum monster mashups where they're like, what yes. if the terrorists <laughs> had to fight lions? And somebody went, I'll pay money to green like that idea. No, and they did, and they did it. You know, the, you know the movie was produced by Mnet? I is it? Oh Mnet is a production studio. Oh, okay, that, that, that actually explains a lot. <laughs> but I, look, I'm not going to lie. I, it's it's obviously not. Um, it's obviously not a very good film. It's like that's that's clear as day, right? But it had like redeeming qualities. A lot of the kills were were genuinely unexpected. They they um, they were very good about about telegraphing that one thing is going to happen, but then something else happens. So yeah, man, I I was okay with it. I I thought it was a fine film. But, but why, why are we oh, yeah, about this movie? We actually discussed the reason, <laughs> the reason it actually came out, though, is because obviously the, the, the star of that film is Megan Fox, uh, who has now found her way into the Expendables. And yeah, I think like uh, something is happening with Megan Fox. And I'm kind of hoping, look, I don't, I don't know that this is necessarily the movie that I wanted to see Megan Fox in, but Megan Fox was like, a better actress than the material that she was given. And I think a lot of that had to do with is like, look, she is an incredibly good looking woman. And so that kind of pigeonholed her into a certain kind of role. Um, but I think, I, I think that was a missed opportunity for her career. I think she could have actually been, uh, look, I, I don't know, like now, like now people are going to say Zaid said this, but I think she could have maybe elevated a career to a, uh, a baby Charlize Theron, maybe. You know what? Do you, if you know what I mean, it's like I, I think I think given given an opportunity to have some real material, I think she could have done a good job. And I put a lot of that on on Jennifer's body, um, which is a movie where she was actually given something to do and not just look pretty on screen. I was about to say that Jennifer's body is actually 
pretty much the only movie I've seen her in where I can really go, okay, she can, you know, she she, she has potential to become a proper actress, like proper like actress. To like I haven't actually, seen her do anything else. Yeah, to sink her teeth into like a proper role. But like everything, as I, as I you said it perfectly, it's like, she's so objectified, like in every role that she's been given, unfortunately. You know, she's never given like a proper opportunity to show what she can do. It's always about like, hey, you look good. We need a good looking woman on on screen. Look, like like I, I called out to Charlize Theron specifically because I don't know if you guys remember Charlize Theron's like entry into Hollywood. It was, she was purely there for the visuals. She didn't exist to do anything else. That was like, we need a blonde woman that looks good. Uh, not too fat that fits within these specific beauty guidelines um, and 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 can read her lines when she needs to and can hit her marks right don't like her you watch her, her first movies it's come that's all she was doing and somehow through pure grit and determination Charlize Theron has been able to carve herself out not just a good career, but like, and I say this without any reservations, a fucking spectacular career as, 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 a, as like a name that can carry a film. Like, you know, like if Charlize Theron has been uh, is signed onto that movie, that movie is going to get greenlit. Done. Right? And that being said, that being said, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bet dollars to donuts that Expendable. No. <laughs> no, 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 that's, why, that's kind of like why I was like saying, that's kind of like why I was saying, that's kind of like why I, why I was like saying, I'm, I'm hoping this movie does well and that it generates, like, look, it's an Expendables movie, man. It's like, mm. it's, it's like we were saying earlier, it's a double A. It really is. Despite all the talent and stuff that they're throwing yeah, the, that's a double A action movie, right? Th- th- this is the classic, I was going to say, this is the classic skitscopin doing a movie. You put it on, you last it there, you enjoy it, and then it's done, and it's finished. But all I want from another Expendables movie is, like, I thought, I thought Expendables 1, when you told me you're going to put a, you're going to have a movie with, you know, Sylvester Stallone and Dolph Lundgren and Randy Couture and Jason Statham and all these people in one movie, right? That's a, that's a concept right there where you go, ah, that is like, you know, proper 80s action hero, which is inherently kind of silly, but they took themselves very seriously. Then they got the second movie, and then they're like putting Jean Claude and Dumb in it as probably one of his best roles. Yes. He's, he's just he's just chewing the scenery like crazy. You, he got, was... you got Chuck Norris in there who's doing nothing but being a walking meme, and it's brilliant. It's entertaining as hell. They like it was so entertaining. And then Sylvester Stallone went, ah, uh, he thinks uh, Sven was too had too many jokes, so they're gonna dial it back for three, and they're like they they make it serious. They bring in this young cast. They bring in this young cast who nobody cares about. Like, I mean, seriously, you've got Mel Gibson and Sylvester Stallone and Jet Li and Teddy Cruz on screen. And then you've got that guy, DJ something or other, who once upon a time almost played Superman in, in, in a movie. And you now we have Ronda Rousey who, who can't act like at all. And you have all this. And they're like, we don't care about these people. They wanted to essentially... They wanted to cut, like, sort of half, make a serious movie, half, make a funny movie, but also half, and I know my math is bad here, <laughs> the audience. They were trying <laughs> to make a man, bear, pig, half man, half bear, half pig. Yes. <laughs> yeah, look. Exactly. Like, I mean, it just fell. Like, just re- keep it simple. 
Rewinding it. You know what this movie needs? Actually, Joe Johnson. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I'm deadly serious. No, I would, I would 100%. So the movie is being directed by, by is it Scott War? So Scott War is the guy who did Act of Valor and Need for Speed. Now, one thing I'll say about Scott War is he can actually direct an action sequence very good. He's, he's, He's got an eye for, for, for action. He's got very good at that. I, I 100% think he's cool for that. But my problem is the rest of it is that, like you said, with the second movie, you had, you know, you had the stunning cheek where, where you knew that in, you knew that the material you're working with is a joke. So lean into it. Have Jean-Claude Van Damme play a character called Jean Villain. He's the villain called Jean Villain. <laughs> <laughs> it's this it's, it's that's completely you you, you need that. You like, actually need that. Like, Expendables needs to go back to that. Do you know what I think Expendables needs? It needs equal waste cast as the villain. Now, see, I would be on board for that. I would be totally on board. In fact, not even equal waste. Get a three-way villain in there. Get equal waste. Get Joe Taslin. Get Yaya Rawi, Ruyen from the raid. All three of them as a three-way villain so they can fight Sylvester Stallone and Jet Li and Jason Statham at the same look, time. Tony Jaa is also cast in this movie. So, oh, yes. so, so yes. they can go like bonkers on this. They can actually like just go wild and it would be amazing. If they had to get Gareth, um, Gareth Evans to direct it, oh, I would, I would be... Yeah, that's, that's actually the, the, the primary issue... Look, I, I couldn't tell you who directed those movies, right, at all. But the problem, like, I feel like the problem with those films is, is that they didn't have a proper action director. It's like, this took, that's actually why I was kind of mentioned Joe Johnson earlier. Like, we were saying he's a journeyman director, but he does know how to direct action, right? He, he knows how to film one man punching another man in a, <laughs> in a very convincing manner. Right, and Gareth Evans is actually would probably be the perfect director for this kind of film, um, because he he obviously he's made his reputation on like the raid and um, you know like uh, action heavy films. But I don't know if you've seen um, I think it's called the Gangs of London. Uh, if you've seen the Gangs of London, which I th I think is on Showmax now, right? So that's like a that's a a, a, a London gangster. Uh, like if the if if the name hasn't given it away, right? It's a it's a TV series about gangsters in London, right? And it and it's full of action sequences, but it's also a great dramatic piece, right? Um, so he he could actually thread that needle. He's actually a much better uh, uh, a much better let's say slow scene director than people give him credit for because his action sequences are, are so. Amazing, but yeah, I think that would be that would be awesome. That that's actually what this film need films need is a director that can actually uh, that Stallone respects, because that's part of the problem. Is actually that Stallone is is a a key figure in those films. He has directed films before. He has done this for so long. He built his career on action, and he I don't think he takes direction well anymore. It's that's the it's the Ridley Scott problem. It's, it's Ridley Scott problem, like um, the famous story of Ridley Scott and Robin Hood. You know, Ridley Scott's Robin Hood movie started its life as a spec script that won the, the blacklist. If you know what the blacklist is, it's every year they, they, they pick a list of unproduced 
um, Hollywood screenplays and then directors and people vote on it as the best. And this thing won the blacklist. It was the script called Sherwood, where it, where it was essentially um, part of the show at Nottingham, where essentially you followed the sheriff of Nottingham. He's the central figure of the character of the show. And he is investigating this band of thieves in, this, in, the, in the area in Nottingham. And it was this whole like CSI kind of criminal procedural thing. And then Ridley Scott came on board and Ridley Scott, they paid tons of money for this to the script. He came on board and he goes, this script is awesome, but how about we cast Russell Crowe? How about we change it so that he plays Robin Hood? How about we have Kate Blanche and no one could say no because it's Ridley freaking Scott and we end up with just another Robin Hood movie. And it's the same thing with Sylvester Sloan. It's the same thing. He, of that Robin Hood movie. <laughs> no, no, I will not. It's as generic as hell. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But, look, um, but it, I think that's that's like I'm not. I'm. I was. I will. I'll be honest. I was super excited when the first Expendables was announced, and it was a fine film. I was. I was disappointed. I was disappointed. Right? It's it's enjoyable. Yeah, it looks like it's not. It's, like it's not terrible, but it's like fan. you know how when uh, it's like one of those things we like. When we were like we we children of the eighties, right? That's we can all agree on that, right? Are we? I don't want to show my age. We we children of the eighties, right? So the very idea, just when someone said, "Hey, Sylvester Stallone is going to be in a movie with Jet Li and Jason Statham and Dolph Lundgren," and then like when the sequel came, oh my God, Arnold Schwarzenegger is also going to be in it. And Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh my goodness, Mel Gibson. Like all the, Wesley Snipes. All these people that we grew up watching on camera, like being like these, uh, you know, they were basically the fantasies of what we thought we were going to grow up to be. <laughs> right? We were we looked at these movies as career options, <laughs> not as fantasy. Now it's like all these guys are going to be in a movie together. And I mean, that was kind of like supposed to be the Avengers before the Avengers. And it just... It just didn't work out. And I, I promise you a lot of that had to do with the fact that there wasn't a director that could control that cost. I, I'm like one of the people that, that believes, right? Like that the, one of the reasons why the Avengers worked as well as it did was because aside from, from Downey, who had, you know, his, his profile had just really skyrocketed from the first Iron Man because he, he was like basically on his way out when they, when they made Iron Man. Is that a lot of those guys were... They weren't. They weren't the the big name stars. They weren't A listers here, right? And so you could you could you could have a director who could make these guys do what needed to be done and whatever, right? Fortunately, Robert Downey Jr. kind of understood what it is. Like I kind of understood the magnitude of what was was going on, and so he played along. He didn't throw his weight around too much. And that's like kind of the problem. Yes, like I'm not saying that like Sylvester Stallone is trying to ruin the franchise on purpose or whatever. But it's like it's very difficult. Like imagine you a director. Oh, actually, I'll give you a better example. I- I've heard this story from the mouth of Samuel L. Jackson himself. Right? It's a couple. You, I, I cannot remember. You need to like kind of search on YouTube for a series of interviews that Samuel L. Jackson did, where he like basically says when he comes to set. And they need to do a certain thing. And the director says whatever. And he's like, no, we've done enough. They can't make him do more. Because he's Samuel L. Jackson. Right? And he freely admits this. He's like, you want to shoot more coverage of this scene. And I'm telling you that the scene is done. You have everything you need for the scene. I'm going to my trailer. 
if you are first-time director, right? Even even if even if this is your fifth movie, but it's not like a huge and your and your resume is not Oscar-winning shit or something. And Samuel L. Jackson tells you, no, I'm done for the day. I've read the lines, I've put my performance in there, and we're done. I'm not sitting there again for you to shoot more coverage or a close-up or whatever. What are you gonna do? So that's why I think probably why the second film worked, because Simon West did the second film. Simon West is the guy who made Con Air and you know he was uh, Lara Croft. He was he had done big movies before. And and like I said, he he realized, like you mentioned, when we were kids, these were the people we, you know, we idolized, they were our heroes. And that's what I want from the Expendables movie. I, I I wanted to to capture the fun of me sitting with my plastic toy monkeys back in the day, smashing them together and having a blast. That's what I want from an Expendables movie. The second film knew, like, you know, you cast Chuck Norris in the movie, everyone knows Chuck Norris is an internet meme. So let's make him an internet meme in the movie as well. And it lent into it, like, you know that Sylvester Stallone plays a ridiculous you know, persona in Hollywood all those years. Lean into that. Don't try to turn this into... This was this was Sylvester Stallone. The first one and the third one was Sylvester Stallone who made Rocky basically putting his weight down because there he was a serious filmmaker. You know, he was the guy, he was winning an Oscar, Oscar-winning script. He was a serious guy, not the action hero he would become. And I feel like when the first film came out, he was more onto that serious filmmaking vibe. The second film, he had fun with it. Third, he tried to sort of, you know, cut the difference, play both sides, hedge his bets, and it was a failure. That's, that's how I see it. So I say, go back to the second film. I mean, cool. So so what I think also is like, what, what's interesting is he directed, Sylvester Stallone directed the first film. So, I mean, he, I feel like he obviously was trying to, to flex some of his own creative muscle a little bit too much in terms of that first film. He didn't know, like, he didn't go the same way Simon West did and said, like, this is utterly ridiculous. Let's just have fun with it. Um, whereas Expendables 3 was directed by Patrick Hughes, who was relatively unknown. And, I mean, well, I mean, he was unknown at the time. So, I mean, you know, he could have been influenced by... By all these external forces, all these personalities on set. No, definitely. That definitely. I... And if and if, if he and, and if he had directed the, the third movie, well, know what his next movie was going to be? He was supposed to. He was set up to direct an American remake of the Raid. Ooh, no, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. Okay, guys. He did end up directing um, Hitman's Bodyguard, which is not. It's not a terrible film. No. Uh, well, I mean, look, that's up for debate. That's up for debate. We can discuss that another time. Guys, uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us. We uh, we always appreciate it when the internet is working appropriately well and people can connect and we can actually have these discussions. Um, uh, brief shout out to Shamaz. I <laughs> hope that, that everything is going well there and we will... Uh, We'll, we'll discuss we'll discuss Birds of Prey next week, I'm sure. Um, yeah, so just on that note quickly, our voting, our movies for next week are Rebecca, which is streaming on Netflix, Birds of Prey, which is currently streaming on Showmax. Um, what were your guys' selections again? The Run, which is on Showmax, and The Witcher, Nightmare of the Wolf. Those are our selections. Guys, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for listening.